Man, how many are thankful? That song, Your Nature, really just ministered to my heart. Anyone feel lifted in their soul as we sang the beauty of the gospel together? How many are thankful where, he, where we see a desert, Jesus sees an opportunity? When, he, when we see a valley of dry bones, he sees an army in the making. Amen? How many, how many want to come into agreement with what he sees and what he says instead of what you see and what you say? <laughs> that was a good word right there. What he sees and what he says or what you see and what you say. I want to come into agreement with his perspective for this hour. How many believe these are very interesting, difficult days? Raise your hand. How many think that we have a little bit of history to look back to to realize the church is usually at her best in difficult, dark, chaotic times? You, if, you're, if you're just a, a small student of history, you see that it's in such a, such a time as this, when the nations rage, when great hostility and confusion prevail and feel like they're the predominant headwind of culture, it's in moments like these that the church of Jesus Christ steps into her vocation to be an actual alternative to what the world can offer. So just say it with me. Even if you don't believe it yet fully in your heart, you can confess it as a gospel truth. This is our finest hour. Just declare it. This is our finest hour. We serve the one. The one lives in us, Colossians 1.27, who calls himself the hope of glory. And how many know nothing unless you give it permission to can snuff out the hope of glory, the glory that is currently through Jesus Christ and the glory that is coming when Jesus Christ returns to make all things new. Well, today I want to continue. Well, I want to um, call us. How many are on our, our church email list? Raise your hand. How many? Most of you, praise God. If not, you can, you can just go on the website and sign up, sign up, fill out a connect card online. It's the easiest way to do it. We are kicking off a fast Everybody's favorite, a season of fasting and prayer. Um, one of my best friends, Pastor John Sparrow, over at Equippers Church, I'm on his email list, and he's on our email list. Um, we're dear, dear friends. We, can, we encourage each other every single week in the Lord. Um, their church is entering into a fast starting today through November 22nd. I said, John, that's the coolest time to fast I've ever seen a church called to fast. How many know, like... We want to be at our best, our sharpest, our clearest of our identity, our purpose, and our destiny going into the holidays. Can I get an amen? And, and the reality is many churches and, and spiritual traditions fast at the new year, but usually you start those fasts in the middle of January because everyone's coming off the holidays. And then before you know it, the new year's already into February, and you're like, ah. So we're fasting starting today slash tomorrow. For three weeks, for 21 days, because we want to get God's heart as this year closes, and we want a, a burning vision and dream for what God has for us in 2021 as a church community. If prayer is communing and connecting relationally to the Lord, then fasting is a willful detachment 
from the delicacies of the flesh in order to feast on the spirit and the banquet table of the kingdom of God. This dynamic of prayer and fasting is an epic dynamic. You won't lose your reward in heaven, but who's ever experienced a a real sense of breakthrough in their life or in the life that you were contending for in a season of prayer and fasting? I know many of you would testify of this powerful combination that we have in the scriptures. And I believe today, in this hour, adopting this posture of readiness in a season of transition as a church and certainly in our own nation, this is the time to step in like never before in a posture of readiness through prayer and fasting to get a vision of what God is doing in Jesus, through Jesus, and what he will do one day when Jesus comes. And that in the midst of that scenario, he invites the church to fully participate in his plan. So we're gonna pray and fast. We're gonna seek the Lord. We do not fast so that he loves us more. How many are thankful? There's nothing that can separate you or diminish his love for you. We all said amen. But how many would confess today, there are many things that separate your love from him? That should have been a unanimous amen. Nothing separates his love for me. It's unrelenting. He's amazing. Neither height nor depth. Just go read Romans 8. But plenty of things dilute, misguide, and misdirect my love for him. And so seasons of fasting and prayer are seasons where we recalibrate. Everyone say recalibrate around the two greats, the great commandment, which is what? Help me out, Bible people, to love. So seasons of prayer and fasting are our way to say, God, I want to give myself to the great commandment fresh. I want to love you wholeheartedly and my neighbor as myself. And it's also a season to reorient around the great commission. How many know love for him is expressed in obedience to him and he commanded us to go to the nations and to make disciples of Jesus Christ? So I love this. Many of us fast for for self, uh, spiritual formation, breakthrough, maybe an area of idolatry or sin. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's just not the whole story of why we pray and fast. We pray and fast to get in on what God is doing through Jesus by the spirit for the sake of the world. So it's to give ourselves to the great commandment, to love him, and the great commission to follow Jesus' fish for people as a family. Amen. Amen. How many many believe there's growth and breakthrough in both directions? And so just unapologetically, I'm asking you to pray about what you should be fasting. There's the partial fast. There's the media fast. There's the Daniel fast. There's a liquid fast. I mean, just Google it or look at our old emails. We've sent a ton of info on fasting the point is to just jump in at some level. Some level. As a church, we are in a season of transition, and it's in seasons of transition we want to be especially tender to the voice of the Holy Spirit. We want to hear what he's saying so that we can do what he's doing and go where he's going. And we all said amen. amen. And we are about to enter and experience maybe the most hotly contested election in history, in America. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to front load that thing with a few days of preliminary fasting. Can I get an amen? 
In the midst of hugely rising COVID numbers, a global pandemic, the craziness of the holidays, although this year it might be less, I don't know what your travel plans are, every parent in the cosmos contending that schools will open back up, <clears throat> I guess I'm trying to say it's time to seek the Lord with prayer and fasting. Amen. Amen. You'll be getting a lot more emails. We're going to try to really keep the conversation going through our emails and through our social media to encourage you on this journey. You're not on this journey alone. The Lord wants to speak to us. Come on, say that with me. He wants to speak to us. Yes, he loves to speak to individuals, but in this hour, as the church is renegotiating her place in culture and how the gospel is to be contextualized in our hour, it's in moments like these that the Holy Spirit is the one who knows the end from the beginning. The Holy Spirit knows the shape, the size, and the structure to fulfill the purposes of God for the people of God in this epic hour. as if you needed more encouragement, throughout every key moment in salvation history, the dynamic duo of prayer and fasting was present. Moses on the mountain at the giving of the law, 40 days without food, obviously praying in the glory of God. Hezekiah, David, King Jehoshaphat, before the Midian ar army surrounded him. Daniel in the belly of the beastly Babylonian empire. Jesus in the desert before he launches his ministry. Need I say more? Because as believers, who do we pattern our life after? Not a trick question. Jesus. Let's pray and fast. Let's seek the Lord. And I have this phrase I wrote. Why do we pray and fast? To hear more fully. Say that with me. To hear more fully. To obey more completely. To embody more faithfully and to express more passionately God's righteousness and justice. Church, we need this season that God's calling us into for the road that he has ahead of us. We cannot afford to take the posture, oh, God will just do what God wants to do. Although that may be, at the end of the day, theologically true, what a bummer to think we missed out on participating in what he was doing because of complacency, indifference, apathy, or being bogged down by the slug and the grunge of giving our lives away to far lesser pursuits and loves than the king and his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. So how many want to jump? How many want to participate? I want to be sharp. I want to hear. I want to step in to what the Lord is saying. And just a shameless plug, the Lord is moving in our, our uh, the birth of our, uh, rebirth of our youth ministry. Uh, Pastor Raphael and Pastor Andrew have been meeting every Friday night, and, and they had, they had a three, two or three new come this Friday. I want to encourage you, there's flyers for our youth ministry on that table under that basketball hoop. You can find it on our emails. We'll be sending information through social media. But God is moving in a fresh way. How many believe the Lord has a huge inheritance in the next generation that he wants to claim for himself and for his glory? Man, I could go home. I'm happy. I've never been more challenged and perked to enter into this season. 
We're gonna get to Acts chapter 13 in just a few minutes. It's the first time that the Bible says expressly that the, the New Testament church is fasting and praying. Clearly, there's no doubt they prayed and fast before that throughout the book of Acts. But I wanted to highlight this story because it is an epic, page-turning moment in the life and history and trajectory of the church. So how did we get to Acts 13? Somebody time me, say, Chad, you've got two minutes to get us to Acts 13. Come on. I'm dead serious. I will stop my summary, which is always too long, and I never get to what I want to say. So someone start their timer. Acts 13. Jesus, 40 days after resurrection, talking about the kingdom of God, you're going to receive Holy Spirit power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when he comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. 120 are baptized in the fire of the Spirit. I think 17 languages hear the gospel in their heart languages, the wonders of God. 3,000 are added into the new Jesus community at the end of Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, the signs and wonders of God healing a cripple outside of the gate, beautiful. Another opportunity to preach the gospel. Persecution in Acts chapter 4. The apostles are dragged before the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of their day. Stop talking in the name of Jesus. We can't stop talking in the name of Jesus. we got to keep speaking of what we've heard and what we've seen. Ananias and Sapphira, they acted more generous, like they were in on what God was doing, but they were selfish. Even though God never said they had to give the full price for their field, they faked their generosity and they fell down dead. The fear of God gripped the hearts of of the people of God. Acts chapter 6, Stephen, there's a struggle in the church in Jerusalem because the Jewish widows had more favor than the Greek widows, and so they had a council. They needed to get the house of believers in order so that God's grace was touching the mass of humanity. Acts chapter 7 and 8 is one of the greatest summaries of the Old Testament. Stephen, the first martyr of the gospel after Jesus, stands and declares the gospel from Genesis to his present day. They throw stones at him. Saul is on the outside watching the first martyr die. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 8. Persecution greats. Give me more than two minutes. I'm doing really good. Give me a break. This is a really good summary. Okay, but I'm doing really good. Okay, thank you. I'm going to finish because I, I feel God's grace. I feel God's grace on it, and I'm skipping six pages of notes. So we're doing good. So persecution breaks out. And finally, the Jerusalem-centric church starts to obey, leaving Jerusalem, because where were they supposed to be witnesses? Judea, Samaria, and the... How many know the church is not all that great at obeying Jesus in times of comfort and ease? Sometimes the Holy Spirit will use a little hostility, a little bit of reshuffling and reorienting to get his purposes happening in the people of God and through the people of God. This is not an hour to gripe and to complain about the position you may feel we're losing in culture. It's time to step into the heart of God and know his purposes have not changed and they never will change for the people of God. Okay, Acts chapter 9. The great missionary Paul is converted. He is blinded and knocked on his keister off of his donkey. He is told you are an instrument of the gospel to the nations. Ananias lays his hands on him. The scales of his eyes, blindedness fall off. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, and he's a little bit held at arm's distance because they're like, this is the guy that killed Christians, and now he's saying he's a disciple, but he starts preaching anyway. 
Acts chapter 10, Peter gets a vision of, Cornel- of a sheet, and it's a vision that the, its meaning is that don't call something unclean that God has declared as clean. It was a prophetic moment in the church. It was the, what theologians call the Pentecost for the nations. The house of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, has his entire household prepared for the message of the gospel. And just as Peter announces that those who believe in Jesus are forgiven, the Holy Spirit falls in the house and they hear them speaking in other languages. And the Jewish believers are like, what in the world is happening? They're not Jews. How are they experiencing the same Holy Spirit that we did? And that's when they realize Oh, now through Jesus, God accepts every man, woman, boy, and girl who believes in the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Acts chapter 11, transition moment. Amazing moment. In Acts chapter 11, ordinary, unnamed people don't wait from the rule from the Jerusalem church. They just start. Back in Acts 8, when the believers were scattered because of persecution, a few unnamed men and women, come on, somebody say, I'm in the storyline. They may not know my name, but I've got a part to play. They venture out. They don't wait for the rules of the traditional Jerusalem-centric church. They start preaching the gospel everywhere they go. People come to faith. It's in the city of Antioch, the third largest city in the Roman Empire. These unnamed, no faces, we don't even know who they are. They start preaching the gospel without being told to do it because that's just what believers do. We have news to share and it's called the good news of the gospel. And they start preaching where they're scattered in persecution. And the Bible says many people are brought into the kingdom. Man, how many want to see that in our day? Many people brought into the kingdom of God. Then the Jerusalem church is like, oh man, we better go help them get that messiness straightened out. They send Barnabas. They couldn't have sent a better person. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Come on, how many have ever met a Barnabas in their life? That, that, that when God's grace was working in your life, they didn't shut it down. They didn't try to hijack it and take credit. They came alongside of and spoke the grace of God into your life. That's Barnabas. So this new community, the church in Antioch, third largest city in the Roman Empire, by Acts chapter 13, which is where we are now, it becomes the most important church in the rest of the New Testament. It takes over in importance the church in Jerusalem. Not that the church in Jerusalem ever goes away, but God, the narrative shifts from a come and see Jerusalem-centric center to an Antioch, which we're gonna see becomes a missions base that fuels God's mission for the nations to hear the gospel of Jesus. Oh, that was pretty good. That was like six minutes of Acts 1 through chapter 12. Six minutes. Praise God, I was just guessing, I didn't know. Does everyone sort of see where we're at in the storyline? Epic storyline so far, what's happening? Don't worry, Acts 13, I don't have, it's probably not even gonna be that long. Probably. How many are happy? How many, how many even just hearing the story of the gospel makes your heart just bubble up? I mean, I know I'm the one sharing it, but this is the, this is the word of the Lord, it's the story of God. Oh, I love the scripture. (sighs) All right, Acts chapter 12, the first few verses before we get into Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 12, the second martyr is killed, James, the brother of John. 
Herod, the politician of the hour, the one who wanted to win the vote and approval of his Jewish constituency, when he saw how much killing James made his people that he was supposed to rule over happy, he went ahead and arrested Peter as well. No doubt to have Peter put to death. But the church started praying. I don't know where they were at when Brother James got arrested, but in Acts chapter 12, the church is crying out. They're raising their voices. Lord, rescue Peter. Lord, deliver Peter. We don't want his fate to be the same fate as James. We don't know what happened, but we just know that as they prayed, come on, someone say, as we pray, God moves. God sends an angel, and literally Peter doesn't know it's an angel. He thinks he's having a dream or a vision, but the angel leads him through the prison guard all the way to Rhoda's house. He knocks on the door, and the little servant girl who answers, she's like, Peter's at the door, but the whole church that's praying is like, no, it can't be Peter. It's got to be his angel. How many are so thankful that God takes our even weak, non-faith-filled prayers, and he knows what to do with them? When, 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 the, when the servant girl has to convince the praying church that God answered their prayer, we know we have a problem with our prayers, but God will take our weak, broken prayers and he will accomplish his purposes as we aim them at him for the glory of Jesus and his kingdom come. Oh, that's good preaching right there. Whew. It's his angel. No, it's not. It was Peter, I promise. And the little servant girl, guys, we've been praying. You don't think God answers prayer? Come on, someone needs to hear that word today. So they open the door. Peter's like, I think I was just rescued by an angel. Whoa, God heard our prayer, sweet. Next story, and this is it. That's Acts 1 through 12. In the morning, there was no small commotion, verse 18. Herod gave a cross-examination of the guards, and he ordered them executed. Because how else did Peter get out, he thought. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea. He'd been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and they sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod was wearing his royal robes. He sat on his throne and he delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. Yeah, Chad, that's like the Old Testament. No, that's the New Testament. That's probably like around 46, 48 AD. After the resurrection, I mean, okay. Whoa. But the word, I love, Luke always gives us summaries throughout Acts. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Come on, someone say it. The word of God is gonna continue to spread and flourish. No matter what politician, whatever, the word of the Lord says elsewhere in Acts, the word of the Lord can't be chained. It can't be chained, man. But the word of the Lord continued to spread. (laughs) Barnabas and Saul finished their mission. They returned to Jerusalem and they took John called Mark. Here it is. Seriously, this is the last part. Now in the church of Antioch, the one that was planted by no-name ordinary people who just wanted to share the gospel everywhere they went. Come on, this is the hour we're entering. 
We're entering an Antioch moment as a church. It's not just Jerusalem. Come and see. Look at our programs. It's being equipped as a people to be those ordinary, unnamed, seemingly insignificant. But everywhere we go, we follow Jesus, fish for people as a family. And the Lord's going to multiply the work of the gospel in this hour. The church in Antioch, there was prophets and there were teachers. Barnabas, we already met Barnabas. Simeon called uh, Niger, which in Latin means he had dark complexion skin. Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod. So there was a politician, there was a rich dude, there was a man of color, there was Barnabas, a Jew, and then there was Saul, a Roman citizen who was also Jewish. I love the diversity. How many know we're at our best when we are diverse in the kingdom of God? Every nation, tribe, language, and tongue oriented around Jesus for the glory of his name and his kingdom. Look at this. This is what I wanted to land the plane. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, I'll say that again, verse two. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. After they had fasted and prayed, so they continued, even after he spoke, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Friends, I can't, with the brief remaining time I have, I can't underscore how much this storyline overlaps our current storyline. Oh, the politician Herod, dressed in his pomp and his circumstance, bending and bowing to the will of the people. Whatever they would want, he'll say whatever he needs to say to keep them happy so he keeps his beautiful, shiny robe. But the people put on Herod's shoulders divine weight. And I want you to know, we are not meant to carry divine weight apart from the divine one filling us and that we submit to as Lord of our life. Politicians, parties, whatever it is, they cannot bear the weight that many of us put on them that are only reserved for the shoulders of Jesus Christ, the one on whom the government of God solely rests. And I'm telling you, Herod is just a prototype. Men and women cannot carry the hope of the divine that we so often put on them. Come on, someone say amen to that. This is the voice of the God. Herod, the supposed king of the Jews, could have said, nope, I'm not a voice of God. I'm a servant. He absorbs the divine affection and the divine allocation of hope and the ascribing of glory to his own rule. And as a result, even Josephus, the early church historian, took note of historically, not as if the Bible wasn't enough, that he died by worms. He died of supernatural cause. The Lord struck this dude down. Why do I say that? Well, obviously, voting, election, I'm not saying don't participate. Good grief. What a blessing it is to live in this nation that we live in. Can I get an amen? What an honor. What a blessing. What I am saying as your pastor, do not put the weight of divine hope on any party, politician, platform, whatever. No, nothing but Christ can bear the weight of divine hope. Amen. So participate, investigate, use your voice, Organize, do all the things that you are 
graciously allowed to do in this nation. But as a pastor, my call is not to call you to be faithful to a party or a platform, but to a king named Jesus. That is my task. And as that's worked out, and as that is worked out, we trust the Holy Spirit. We do our part. We stay informed. We can be passionate, but we refuse to let each other cross the barrier and boundary of divine hope and longings on any person but Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen to that? It's so significant, man. They can't bear the weight of it. The only one who can bear the weight of absolute hope, allegiance, man, and this guy, if only he, the only one who can faithfully carry out that level of confidence and hope is Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ uses men and women for his purposes. There's no refuting that in the scriptures. But this is an hour to look again where our ultimate hope lies. Come on, how many need to ever look at where you're putting your hope besides myself? my confidence and my hope. The Bible clearly says in Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes or in the powerful, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground and on that very day, their plans come to nothing. But blessed are those whose hope and help is the Lord their God. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and he gives food to the hungry. He sets prisoners free. He gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. Why? Because the Lord loves the righteous. He watches over foreigners and he sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Your God, O Zion, for all generations, praise the Lord. And so when the crowds were putting divine aspirations and hope, he's our guy, he's, this is the voice of the gods. And when he didn't deflect it and point it away from himself, <clears throat> worm destruction. And I want you to know what God did then, he can do now. Apart from his mercy. And Herod took a place and he took the praise and the honor that the Lord Jesus Christ alone was worthy of and it cost him his life. My encouragement for you, brothers and sisters, the place of ultimate hope, allegiance, ambition, affection, and trust are reserved for Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. So pray. Participate if you choose in the political process. Vote the values, policies, practices that you sense honor Jesus and God's image in every one of his image bearers. Investigate issues and policies, promises and platforms, and that vote what you sense provides the best context for the most flourishing for people. First Timothy 2 tells us this, I urge you, someone say urge, I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all of those who are in authority, so that we may live peaceful, quiet, godly lives in all holiness. Acts 13, in closing. Herod is struck down dead. <laughs> the church prays and fasts to get a fresh word from God. <laughs> the great pompous king absorbs divine hope and divine ascription. 
God shows who really is the sovereign over Lord, the Lord over creation and over redemption. And the church, without skipping a beat in Acts chapter 13, moves into a season of prayer and fasting because they know that the Holy Spirit has a fresh word for them. And I want you to know the Holy Spirit has a fresh word for us today. We must pray and we must fast. Over these next few weeks, to discern and then devote ourselves to what the Spirit would provoke us to obey. My question is, in the room and those watching online, who is hungry to freshly hear so that we can freshly orient ourselves around the purpose and the plan that God has in this hour? Thank you, Paula. From this point on, Acts chapter 13, there's 28 chapters in Acts. Antioch takes center stage. I want you to know this is the hour. This is the hour through prayer and fasting. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to the church in this hour? What are you saying to the church in Santa Maria on the central coast? How many believe the Holy Spirit has a word of direction that we're to devote ourselves to for his glory and ultimately so that for our good and for our flourishing as we obey what he says? And as they prayed and fasted, after that gnarly episode with Herod, the Spirit spoke and the church obeyed. And by the way, the rest is history. Look around the table. We are here today because the ripple effect of the obedience of that church in Antioch set apart Paul and Barnabas and said, go to the nations. And then from that nation, they sent more missionaries. And then here we are in 2020, none of us just woke up believers. Someone announced the gospel to us. And the faithfulness of everyday ordinary people who will pray and fast and then just say yes to what the Spirit says, what if that has repercussions for the generations that are being raised up? That apart from a move of God, there is no hope. But how many know he wants to move even over the chaos, the Spirit is brooding, waiting for God to release his word so he can affect his redemptive plans and purposes when the Father speaks. And that's why in this moment of chaos, this epic season as a nation and as a people, we fix our eyes on Jesus. We do what we can because of the blessings, but then we posture ourselves to be ready for what the Spirit of God will say, and then together, not just individuals, but together we lift our yes, and we say, yes, Holy Spirit. If you said it, we'll believe it, we'll obey it, and the ripple effects will trust in your hands. This is the hour. Come on, someone say, this is the hour. Come on, stand on your feet. I wanna bless you, I wanna pray for you. Is Jesus still moving in Jerusalem? Of course. Where the apostles set up shop. But I'm here to tell you, we are in a page-turning era in America and as a church in the West. And it's time to move from just a come-and-see Jerusalem mentality to an Antioch go-and-be mentality. Come on, say that with me. From come-and-see to go-and-be We've been saying it for like eight, nine weeks. We follow Jesus, fish for people, as a family. An Antioch mindset adopts that posture. Jerusalem, we have a hired pastor. It's his job. 
I do have a job to do, by the way. I'm aware of that, to equip the saints to do the ministry, to be those people. Jerusalem mindset, oh, it's someone else's responsibility. Antioch mindset, no way, God can use my yes. Jerusalem mindset, oh, participating in God's kingdom is only for the select few who have the proper education and proper eloquence. Antioch mindset, I've got a pulse, I'm useful to Jesus. He can use me, I have a purpose, I have a plan. There's something God can do in me and through me. Jerusalem mindset, our best days are behind us. Antioch mindset, we're only just beginning to see what God's about to do through the obedience of God's people. Come on, how many want to shift from a Jerusalem mindset to an Antioch mindset? That transition is super costly because everyone is then enlisted. It's super costly. It's inconvenient to realize that my whole life is an opportunity for Jesus to receive glory, not just their life, not just the ones on a platform. But friends, what else do we want to give the blip of our little life to but for the glory of Jesus, for the expansion of his kingdom, for the building up of his church, and for the ushering of of the epic harvest that the Lord wants to see in our day? What else is there? What else do you want to do? Look back on your 80 or 90 years if God gives you that long. and you know, Or to say, no, Lord, whether I've got 20 years left, five years, or 80, I want all of them to be surrendered to your purposes and plans. Every one of them. Father, I pray right now as you call us into this season, Acts 13, it's an epic page-turning moment. But they fasted and they prayed and the Holy Spirit spoke. Lord, I'm believing you'll do that for our church. Anybody else believe that with me? Say amen. Lord, I'm believing that you want to activate and mobilize your people for the moment that we're living in. Great difficulty, great difficulty, great difficulty. But it's in moments like this that, Lord, the salty, light-emanating community that bears the mark of Christ on their life, we were born for this hour. And so, Father, I pray that you would just fill with unshakable hope my friends in this room and those watching online. I pray that we would step into this season of prayer and fasting, trusting that as we seek you with all of our heart, we'll find you. And when we find you, we find that you've got a fresh word for us for the sake of your name and for the sake of your glory. And, Father, we do pray right now for this week ahead of us, Those of us who are American citizens in this room and those watching, we are crying out that you would stretch out your hand over this land. We are zealously contending that righteousness and justice will prevail and permeate every city, every region, every state, the entirety of our culture. We're asking God that you would superintend the process, not so that what we want happens, but that so what you want happens in this land. Father, you love the righteous. I just read it from Psalm 146. I'm asking for righteousness to reign and to rule in our land. I'm asking for a mobilization of your people in this hour to be the people of God for the purposes of God through the power and presence of God in Jesus' name. Lord, we trust you. We ask that you would just flood our hearts and our imaginations with dreams and visions of what it means to live as one out of an Antioch mindset instead of a Jerusalem mindset. 
God, recalibrate our hearts around the two greats, the great commandment and the great commission, to love you and to give that love away. Father, here we are. Send us this week for your purposes and for your glory's sake. In Jesus' name, we all shouted amen and amen and amen. I love you guys. Have a great week. We'll be sending out info this week. Let's jump in together.